Well, this is a very special day for our church family. Today we celebrate our church's 50th anniversary. Yeah, you can woo, that's fine. It's good. Praise the Lord. 50 years ago yesterday, July 16th, 1972, I was about a year and a half old, the first worship service of Austin Bluffs Evangelical Free Church was held at Longfellow Elementary School, which is just a block or two uh, up Maisland right here. There were 50 people in attendance that first morning. This new church was planted by the first evangelical free church on the west side, and it was to be a church that would seek to reach the extreme northeast side of Colorado Springs. Well, 50 years, things have changed. Some things have changed. The pastor of First Evangelical Free Church at that time also served as the pastor here at this new church plant. His name was Paul Allman. And he continued to pastor both churches for many months until he eventually resigned from First Evangelical Free Church to devote his full attention to this newborn work here at our church. Under Pastor Allman's leadership, the first 17 members of the church were received, and we're blessed to have one of those first members still with us today, Sally Plin, who's sitting in the back, right back there. There she is on the screen behind me. Sally, wave. <laughs> Sally served as the church recording secretary, the first one, and her Name is all over the minutes of all those ancient documents for our church. (laughs) And she served in many other ways as well. Her husband, her beloved husband, who's gone home to be with the Lord, uh, he served in the youth group for many, many years and in other ways. And they were just a delight and an encouragement to me as a pastor. Sally, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you. How many of you know someone who's been at the same church for 50 years? That's Sally. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for sticking through good times and bad times here at the church, and your example is a positive one for all of us. So God bless you. Uh, The land here on Maysland was donated by First Evangelical Free Church. Funds were raised, and construction soon began on the gym portion of our current building. After serving as pastor for three years, Pastor Allman felt the Lord leading him on to another ministry. The next pastor to serve was Vernon Olson. Under his leadership, the church grew spiritually and in numbers, and construction of the gym continued and was eventually completed. The first worship services were held in the newly finished multi-purpose building. That's what, we used, that's what they used to call the gym on February 15, 1976. The new building dedication service that day began down at the elementary school, and then a police escort led everyone in their cars to the new building for the worship service. Isn't that sweet? Sounds like Mayberry or something like that. (laughs) Well, the church continued to experience growth, and it soon became apparent that more room would be needed to accommodate ministry. And so the next phase of construction called for building additional classrooms and an auditorium, and that's the room we're in right now. Before the new auditorium was built, Pastor Olson resigned as pastor to give leadership to the district church planting efforts, 
And a new pastor was called in 1980, Pastor Lloyd Van Dixorn. He was the next pastor, and under his leadership, the new auditorium and classrooms were completed in 1984, just 12 years after the church got its start. In the mid-1980s, however, the church experienced some very, very difficult years. There was a period of decreasing attendance, making it difficult for the church to meet its budget requirements. There was even, at times, serious talk of possibly selling the building and maybe even closing the doors on the church as a whole. But thanks to the Evangelical Free Church being our lender, the church did not have to sell the building and shut its doors, but the future of the church still remained very uncertain. In the midst of this crisis, a new pastor was called in 1989, Pastor Mike Hare. Pastor Mike's son, Dave, is one of our missionaries. He serves in Cameroon. You may have seen him. Two weeks ago, he was with us and gave a report. And his dad, Pastor Mike Hare, on the picture behind me, uh, was seated right over here. Pastor Mike Hare took the job along with his wife, Colleen, and his young family. And they pastored here for very little pay. For the church couldn't afford a full-time salary at that point, given all of its other financial obligations and a brand new building and not enough people to support it. But the church grew under his leadership. Eventually, the church was able to support him fully, financially. In fact, the church had grown so much that they felt that the need to hire an associate pastor who would come alongside Pastor Mike while focusing in on ministry to youth. And so in August of 1997, fresh out of the Master's Seminary, the church called moi (laughs) to be their first associate pastor. And I played the guitar a little bit. (laughs) Very little guitar uh, could I play. But uh, the the folks were gracious and patient and... uh, The Lord used it somehow. I was excited to serve and learn and grow. And Leanne and I were excited to begin this new adventure of ours in Colorado. We'd only been married three years. We just celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary yesterday. We'd only been married at the time three years. Thank you. Uh, We had no children. That's hard to conceive of at this point. Uh, And we were excited to be here not having any idea how long we would end up serving here. I served in the role of youth pastor for only about 15 months, but I like to say they were really intense months. 15 months when Pastor Mike announced that he would be leaving to help another church, another hurting church in California. After Pastor Mike's departure, I became the interim pastor, and then about 10 months later, the church called me to be their next senior pastor. This is a picture of the installation service with Leanne and I being prayed over by our former pastor, Vern Olson, who was the second pastor of this church, as you saw his picture earlier, and then district superintendent Leroy Grimm and some of our elders at the time, including Eric Rommel. Then I was so blessed uh, just a couple years later when Pastor Rob Zietlow joined the team here in 2001 And it's been my joy to serve alongside him all these years. We eventually, we're the, you can call us the dynamic duo or dumb and dumber or whatever you want. Uh, We've we've been blessed to serve together. Our families have been blessed to grow up together. 
you all have been just a, a tremendous blessing to us as a church family, uh, being both of us far from family most of the time, and uh, you all have filled that role, and we're so grateful to you. Then, of course, we were able to expand our pastoral team from two pastors to three, and then later on to four, and we're blessed to have Pastor John Gilmore now as our music pastor, and we're so excited for Pastor, pastor Micah Spansel to join us in January as our next youth pastor. Now, because of time, I've left a lot of the story out, and of course, there's a lot that has happened recently. We, of course, bought the Arrows West property back in September of last year. We changed our name to Cross and Crown Church in February of this year. And we just sold this campus a little over two weeks ago. The the ink is still wet, I think, to another gospel-proclaiming church. There's definitely been a lot of change lately. But the reality is, as we've seen from this quick survey of the history of our church, there's always been a lot of change. Life necessarily brings with it change. Time brings change. Change often makes us uncomfortable. Change often brings with it uncertainty. And we're going through a lot of changes together as a church right now. While our core doctrine, our core commitments, our philosophy of ministry, our commitment to Biblical exposition, our commitment to biblical counseling and biblical worship will never change, God willing. Things will undoubtedly change with all that's going on in the world today and with all the changes that are in our immediate future as a church. We can't be certain what the next 50 years for our church will look like. But here's what we can be absolutely certain about. The Lord never changes. Lamentations 3:22 and 23 says, "The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness." God's mercies have been new every morning for the last 50 years, reaching far back into the beginning of creation. Great is his faithfulness. As we'll see this morning from the words of Jesus, we not only can be certain of God's faithfulness, but we can also be certain that the Lord will build his church. As the Lord has been faithful to us these last 50 years in building the church and getting to where it is now, so we can know with certainty that he will be faithful in the years that are yet to come to build his church. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. That's where we're going to look this morning, Matthew 16. Let me read for us from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father 
who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that has revealed to us your Son in all of his glory, in his righteousness, in his true identity. Today we see him in this text, not only as the Messiah, the Christ, not only as the Son of the living God, but as the determined builder of the church. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the promises we find here in these words. I will build my church. Help us to take them to heart, to hold on to them, especially in dark days when the culture seems to be shifting darker and darker and is more and more opposed to your gospel and your truth. And when difficulties come our way, may we remember always, you will build your church. Help us to be faithful as you've entrusted to us your body, your flock as under-shepherds. Thank you for those who have served and given and sacrificed and worked and cried and sweated these last 50 years to get us to where we are today. We stand on their shoulders and we give you thanks for their past service. We pray, Lord, that we too would serve you faithfully. That in the years to come, we might be among those who are numbered among the faithful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here in Matthew 16, the Lord asks his disciples an important question. The most important question. The most important question you can ever be asked. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? And it has to go down as one of Peter's highlights, one of Peter's greatest moments. Peter has a lot of lowlights. Peter has a lot of moments he probably wishes he could take back. But not this one. This one, this one was inspired. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds in faith, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Peter could have had no better response than that. And Jesus is quick to affirm Peter's answer in verse 17. Blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you. Peter answered correctly because God had revealed the truth to Peter and to the other disciples that Jesus was in fact who he claimed to be. He was in fact the Messiah. He was in fact the Christ. He was in fact the Son of the living God. It's a good time, I think, to ask ourselves the question and wonder, how would we answer that question today? Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus? People respond in a variety of ways. Many say that Jesus is a myth. He never existed. He's made up. Well, historians are nearly universally agreed that Jesus was, in fact, a real person. That is beyond real historical dispute. Others say Jesus was a wise person, a great moral example, a a model teacher, 
of wisdom. Well, that just won't do. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity. He said this, I'm trying here in his book to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They often say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. Jesus will not allow you to accurately say he was merely a great moral teacher or a great moral example. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus himself claimed to be God in the flesh. Jesus himself did the miracles that only God could do. So who do you say that Jesus is this morning? Well, the only saving answer is the answer of Peter. It's the answer of faith. It's the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the only Savior of the world. It's the confession you'll hear from those who are being baptized today in their testimonies and in their confession of faith from the waters of baptism. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, it is a few of Jesus' words here in verse 18 that I want to focus our attention on for the time that remains this morning. And in particular, I want us to focus on Jesus' declaration that he will build his church. I will build my church, Jesus says. In these five words, we find the truth that Christ is committed to the establishment, to the growth, to the well-being, to the livelihood of his church. We have the guarantee here from Jesus' own lips that come what may, the church, the body of believers here on earth will continue. Now, while Jesus' statement has primary reference, I believe here, to the universal church, which is made up of all believers all over the earth, it's also true, I believe, for each local church and each visible manifestation of the church in each local church. The local church is sometimes described in the scriptures as being a special house, made up of individual spiritual stones built for a special spiritual purpose. Peter, the rock here, who Jesus commends for his answer, writes later on in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, describing the churches he was writing to. He says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
While there are no guarantees that any particular individual local church will always grow and always thrive and never have to close its doors, I believe the general truth of Christ's love for and commitment to building the church universal should embolden us as the church local and give us fresh hope for the next 50 years and beyond. And so, from these five words of Jesus, I will build my church, I want us to see five reassuring and encouraging truths that will give us hope for the next 50 years. All right, first of all, Jesus said, I. It's a personal commitment. We have here Jesus' personal commitment. Jesus himself is committed to the task of building his church. He hasn't outsourced this important task to anyone else. He hasn't left the job up to an angel or myriad of angels. He hasn't left it up to an apostle or a group of apostles. He hasn't given it to a pastor or a group of elders or even to a congregation. The building of the growth and the firm establishment of the church is the work of Christ himself. When the church seems to go through a time of struggle, seems to be declining, seems to be on its heels, have no fear, for Jesus is on the job building his church. And we have his personal commitment that he will never stop. I will build my church. While this truth should encourage us, it shouldn't surprise us. After all, the church was birthed and bought with the blood of Christ, Acts twenty twenty eight. Jesus himself gave his life for the redemption of the church. Jesus himself rose victorious from the grave to give life to the church. And Jesus himself will ensure that the church is built and finished. From start to finish, the church is built by Christ. And because the church is built by Christ himself, Christ gets all the glory. I will build my church. We have Christ's personal commitment and that should embolden us he's with us he's for us in this task secondly i will build my church this makes it a settled certainty because jesus is who he is because he is the christ the son of the living god his work of building the church is a settled certainty when jesus wills to do something it always happens Jesus is the Son of God. He is the creator and sustainer of everything in the universe. We've read that wonderful Christological hymn in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, that describes Jesus, the Christ, as being the creator and sustainer of all things, as being the one who's head over all authority. He has all power, all authority has been given to him, and so the church will be built. The church will grow, the church will advance in accord with the will of the Lord. And so the building of Christ's church ultimately cannot be thwarted, cannot be set back, cannot be derailed, and cannot be destroyed. And it's the very divine will of Christ that will ensure that this is so. The spiritual building of the church is a settled certainty. 
A third reason for encouragement in Jesus' words. Jesus says, I will build my church. That's a promise of progress. Jesus said, I will build. Like any building, the church is built stone by stone, person by person. The building of a structure is a progressive act. First, the cornerstone is set. The Lord Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Then the foundation is laid, the apostles and the prophets. Then the walls are built. That's you and I, and the roof is installed. The building process for the church, like the building process for building any structure, is an ongoing one. We've got a lot of building going on over at Arrows West right now. They're starting framing this week. Praise the Lord. And so the inside walls will start getting framed out. Progress is being made. And so it is for the church. Progress is always being made. The church is always being built by the Savior. New stones are always being fashioned and carefully laid in place. Already laid stones are being smoothed and refined of their rough edges But this process will one day be made complete when Jesus returns. And we will be made finally whole. Jesus has determined that he will build his church. And that building is not yet complete. And we will always be in progress until he returns. The church isn't perfect. And in this life it never will be. As a church we're always a work in progress And that's because as individuals, we are always a work in progress, a work of God's progress. I love what John Newton says about himself and this whole issue of of God remaking him and changing him and shaping him. And he says, I'm not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still, I'm not what I once used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. We can alter that a little bit for ourselves and for our church. We could say cross and crown is not what we ought to be. We're not what we want to be. We're not what we hope to be in another world, but still, we're not what we once were. And by the grace of God, we are what we are, for God is at work and he's willed it to be so. Fourth encouragement comes from the word my. I will build my church. And this is a possessive pronouncement. Now this is really important. We must always remember remember that the church is Christ's church. Jesus didn't say here, I will build a church. He didn't say, I will build your church. He didn't even say, I will build our church. He said, I will build my church. Jesus, as the builder of the church, the creator of the church, the one who bought the church with his own blood, shares no ownership of his church. The church is his. He is the sole owner, the sole proprietor, the sole operator. He doesn't answer to any board, any committee, any congregation, any auxiliary. Christ is the head of the church. He doesn't answer to us. We answer to him. 
While elders do have real authority in the church, it is an authority that is given them as under shepherds by the chief shepherd, an authority governed by the word of God and delegated by Christ. The church as a whole and every true local church belongs to Christ and Christ alone. All of us are merely servants in Christ's house, entrusted with caring for and serving and using the gifts given to us inside Christ's house. The local church doesn't belong to any one of us or any group of us. It belongs to Christ alone. And our role is simply to be faithful with the precious house he's entrusted to our care. And hopefully leave it better, stronger, more faithful than when we found it. Fifthly and finally, I will build my church. The church is a special people. Jesus says, I'll build my church. Church was a, used that, a word that was used for any assembly of people. But it came to have a technical meaning referring to the assembling of God's people. Here in chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus uses the term in reference to all the people of God. All who are saved through faith in Jesus Christ around the world. It's a reference to the universal church. But in just a couple chapters later, in Matthew 18, 17, he uses the same term for church to refer to a local assembly of believers, a local gathering, a visible gathering of Christ's church. So what makes a local church a church? Well, there has to be a gathering of believers in Jesus Christ. They have to gather under the leadership of a plurality of godly elders and deacons who are serving. They have to gather weekly for corporate worship, which includes the reading and preaching of the word of God, the singing of songs of praise, prayer, and the administration of the sacraments. And it's a place where the biblical process of spiritual restoration and discipline is faithfully carried out. Now, I love Colorado Springs and all the many ministries that are here, that are serving, that are doing the Lord's work and doing great work, but they're not the church. They're certainly not the local church. They're made up of individual believers, yes, but those individual believers hopefully are part of a local church because that is the locus of God's work on earth. It's through the local church. That's the church Christ died for. That's the church Christ established and gave instruction concerning. The local church is special because it's a gathering of God's special people. In what sense are we special? Some of you might look around and say, yeah, there's a bunch of special people here. (laughs) Well, there are. We are a special people, a peculiar people. We're special because in Colossians 1.13, it says that God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We've been rescued and transferred, rescued out of darkness, transferred into the light of the kingdom of God's son. The church is special because the church is made up of those who've been called into fellowship with Christ himself, 1 Corinthians 1.9. The church is special because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us and therefore Christ indwells us through the Spirit and has given us the hope of glory, Christ in you. We're special because we've been justified. We're special because we're being sanctified and we're special because one day the promise is we will be glorified. 
We're special because we've been spiritually united with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. We are those who have publicly confessed Jesus as Lord and who've been obedient to him in baptism, confessing him as Christ and Lord. And because we've been spiritually united with Christ, we're special because we have been spiritually united to one another. We are the church, a special people with a special purpose. We are the church and we should love the church. We should love each other for Christ died for each one of us and put us together to establish us together as a spiritual house made up of spiritual stones conducting spiritual worship. God has been so faithful to our church through the years. That shouldn't shock us because Jesus has promised to build his church. And he has. But that process of building continues even today and on into the future until the Lord returns. I have no idea what the next 50 years will look like for us as a church. You don't have to be a prophet or the son of a prophet to look around and know the days and times we're living in and know that difficulty and hardship are likely around the corner and in many ways have already arrived. I don't know what the future holds for the next 50 years for us as a church. But I know this, God is faithful. And Jesus will be faithful to his promise to build his church. And then we've got the added promise there. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. We're going to win. We're on the winning side. Christ is our victor. And we've been made more than conquerors. Through faith in him. What a promise. What reason for courage and hope. What reason for boldness in the midst of the darkness. Christ will build his church. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your promise to build your church. Thank you that it's not up to us ultimately. You invite us into the process. You use us by your grace. But ultimately, it's you building your church. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for your personal involvement. Thank you for your determined, settled certainty to do it. Thank you, Lord, for the progress and the process that's ongoing. Thank you that you are the owner that it's yours, and we confess that again today. This church is not our church, it's your church. We simply want to be faithful servants and stewards of what you've entrusted to us. Thank you for making us your special people, redeeming us, saving us, forgiving us, filling us, and setting us on mission to reach the world for Christ and train up disciples. Thank you, Jesus, for building your church. Build it, Lord. Build it here among us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.